Well, what do you think about the show, man? Did you finish up? I did. I did. <laughs> it's it's to me, it's it's brilliant, man. I agree. You know what? Let's let's start this right. Okay. Five, four, three, two. It's Jay. I'm back in with another one. And tonight I have with me is Drew. Another day, another dollar. I say that all the time. And I don't know if I made money today, but another day, another dollar. I know no. I lost money today. <laughs> Nothing else. I know inflation. Something, <laughs> something happened today with money and it probably wasn't good. But yeah, just another day. Let's just leave it like that before we get into another conversation. Right. We're here for another show. Okay, so... And we're still long overdue for for a conversation, and we'll still have an in-depth conversation. But I would like to start this off with just a little recap of Donald Glover's other project, Atlanta. And just like, a, not getting into deep or anything, but um, to me, this kind of relates to this current show that we're going to talk about called Swarm that came out on Amazon Prime, which is a project by Donald Glover. They had a big crossover. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and it's just kind of funny because, you know, usually I try to keep stuff kind of separate, but it also it it ties in. Not exact, but it's almost kind of like if you understand his other work, it kind of helps you decipher and break down what you're watching on his other projects. And I think if I wouldn't have experienced Atlanta, I probably wouldn't have processed this show as deeply as I did. Only because I had a little practice from Atlanta. You know, I think proof of that is I was watching a, a review of the show uh, by a YouTuber that really had no business reviewing it. But <laughs> you know, some people you're just like, why are you doing this? Like they usually do the Marvel and DC movies, things of that nature. And they were like, oh, we're gonna do the new Amazon 8. It was a British cat. And I was just like, okay, you know, so I'm listening. And right off rip, like, they started ripping, like, different elements of it. And I'm like, oh, oh. you just don't understand what, who you're watching. Because part of it's like, you've got to understand that, like, uh, what was the character? Was it Teddy? The one that looked like Michael Jackson? You know, Teddy like, Perkins. Teddy Perkins. Like, it started there with, with the layers okay. of, like, like, who Donald Glover is and how he presents so it was like, that was one thing mm -hmm. that made me say like, yo, this has that feel to it. I don't want to get too far ahead of our conversation, but yeah, there were elements where it was a beautiful crossover, but you definitely had to know who you were watching so that you can see the nods to Stephen and Donald's style of, of production. And I like it because I feel like we're, we're hitting that zone where it's not just Jordan Peele and and monkey fall like in there in his style mm -hmm. like we're starting to see like okay we we might be able to look up in 10 years and we have our own you know just the same way people have their coveted little film you know cults mm -hmm. you may be able to have something for people of color that's got like this pop not nah, because i know there's some things going on now but like you know so i'm excited about it like i really love this show i really love the crossover Okay, it's funny you mentioned Jordan Peele because something about that was was touched on. I felt was touched on on the show as well. But what caught me was just the the presentation of a current situation with a twist, 
you know, he's, he's always talking about something currently, but kind of giving the black perspective in a situation. I think he went better. I feel like he gives the black geek perspective. Yes. Um, which is, yeah. is not to say that's not a black perspective, but it's not the mainstream black perspective. No, but, and that's also why I think it catch folks like me and you in a certain kind of way where others may, or some people might have confusion with it or kind of thrown off by it. We kind of lean in because we kind of, you know, might have thought the same thing in our head, never said it or joke around with friends. You know, just like with uh, movies, you have like men directors, right? And they have the men gaze and the way it looks at or a woman's filmed a certain kind of way. Just like when a woman shoots a love scene, it looks different than how a man shoots it. Okay, he has the black geek gaze. You know what I'm saying? So he has that and he sees it a certain kind of way. And when you see it, you recognize it if it's for you. And so I love that. And it's not like he's trying to figure it out and it's all bumpy and not clear what he's saying and what he means. No, he just leans in on it. And it's brilliant to see. It's crazy because you don't see it that often and you yeah. don't expect it from him and you don't expect to see it in general. So when you do, it's kind of like, wait a minute. And Jordan Pills does the same thing in a way. But okay, this is a little bit ahead, but this kind of touches on it too. It's kind of like, and I think it's funny. The way he brings up white folks, right? And, and the way they're portrayed, he portrays them in a way how minorities may see them. So just like they might film and do media or, or movies and TVs and stuff, and they have a black person in there, and it's almost kind of like a stereotype that may be kind of true, maybe kind of exaggerated, but not, you know, he kind of does the same thing with them, but it's so slight and it's kind of like, hmm. Like, I wouldn't expect it to... An example of that would be, like, I reviewed um, the movie uh, Megan, right? Uh, and, and written by a black woman. Yes, yes, that's my point. Yeah. It's a weird thing that happened with the children. With the, we had this kid that was acting up and cutting up and stuff, and he was talking crazy to his mom. And I was thinking, like, that's interesting for this kind of movie to have something in there about this little bratty kid cursing out his mom, calling her by her first name. Cause you know, usually in black households, we don't play that. And so when I saw it, it popped out to me, like, that's very interesting. So either somebody wrote this who I don't, I didn't know who wrote it or somebody's very insightful. So certain things will pop up and I'm just kind of like, it's one of us writing it because you normally don't see that kind of stuff in certain movies directed and written by certain people. And so I think he kind of, you know, like the awkward white boy or the, you know, the Karen type girl, but it's not being mean. And it's not like he's trying to slam or be dismissive to somebody. Well, I think it's it's a narrative on, on the truth of what privilege does to an individual. It blinds right. and puts you in a place of ignorance. It's not, right. you know, and that's not an academic, it's a, a literal just ignorance, which kind of like is where that term like street smart kind of derives mm -hmm. from. Like we have to be aware of, what, of our surroundings where privilege can sometimes, uh, and to be specific, uh, we're talking about like white privilege, mm -hmm. um, can sometimes put you in a situation where you don't have to be aware because most things are made for and by you. And so you get a chance to just be very inept when it comes to being sensitive to what's going on with other people. And we saw that uh, throughout Atlanta when he had white, you know, the times he had white people in it. And he, I think that the key factor is walking into some of these universes that black creators are creating 
it's beautiful because that's the most beautiful part about fiction. They don't have to change that. They right. don't have to like implement, uh, but there's an exception to the rule. Like they right. can have every single character that comes in mm-hmm. act in a particular way. And, you know, it's what we saw with one of the episodes, you know, and we'll talk about that more, more in depth. When you said that, I was thinking he just does honest work and he's obviously have attention to detail because to me, the stuff he adds into his projects is kind of like he was brave to do it one and then also two he was aware very aware of everything and decided to include it if that makes sense i probably you know it does and i think a lot of black creatives write this way and then it's usually filtered and i think with donald glover uh being one of the individuals who went through you know like the famous story of him going through a, a diversity writers deal that he was able to get you know uh his assignments on different shows on nbc he was able, you know, by the time he's he, you know, comes around, he gets a production deal. He's able to be the final say. And so when black creators who underneath him are writing some of these things and the directors of some of these, uh, like the director of Swarm, you know, when she wants to put all these different things in there, he's mm-hmm. he's the final. He's one of the final. There you go. And a lot of it is off of uh, a particular reputation that he's garnered through all of his many other talents. And that's one of the the great things. It's like, this is what happens. And this is a different conversation, but there's a difference between like, we saw the same thing with Kanye West, where an individual crosses over and it's about, whoa, what will you do with your power, you know, with all this attention and and authority that you have in the creative space. And with, uh, uh, you know, with with Donald and Stephen Glover, I think that's the key factor, Donald and Stephen Glover. I think if it's Donald Glover, you know, we don't know because sometimes an artist just wants to be an artist and they need that that sibling, that person that brings them back. Um, The crazy thing is because Donald's the celebrity, Mm -hmm. the blame for most things fall on him. And so, you know, just to kind of transition a little bit into like we were talking about like the way he represents this black geek male gaze as we would assess it right right most interesting thing about that is in most geek conversations and most blurred conversations one of the it is tropey to do when you once once you get a blurred uh podcast or blog but we all have to do it when we get into this world is talk about how black men see black women <laughs> one of the biggest debates and pushbacks on the on it the ending of atlanta one of the biggest pushbacks on swarm is this narrative that donald glover does not have a good relationship with the african-american woman and this was another strike and there's a history of them going back and seeing shows that he was writing not the showrunner but shows where he was you know one of the top writers on and yeah 30 rock and uh community lack of diversity and when black women were inserted it was all the worst tropes and there was never when he was in a position to stand up and say no he didn't or he was in charge of writing some of those some of that tropiness so it's interesting because he's not helping this argument that a lot of us have to have that black you know because here's the thing one thing is always associated with the black male geek is usually 
academic prowess, like having a strong academic prowess, usually being smart or having some level of degrees, things of that nature. And there's always this disconnect between academia and um, our culture, as so, so to speak, uh, being these things where like sometimes like hood culture, I should say, like there's always this, well, they different kind of thing. And I don't know, man, it's like, he ain't helping this argument for, for certain people in those rounds, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a deeper conversation and we, we probably need to lend to this particular conversation, but I, I did want to introduce the show and that, but like saying that like, this is great to us, but, yeah. and it's not just the beehive. There's a handful of black women who I've seen on Twitter and other spaces say they won't even give it a shot because Donald Glover and because, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, they feel like it's another slight at them. Uh, yeah, that, that, for sure. That's going to be a bigger conversation. Um, I didn't know people had that kind of issue with him necessarily. Um, but I'm not surprised because people have issues with everything. But then also I know that people have their styles and their styles they're comfortable with. And when they're comfortable with, they seem to repeat. That's like if an artist like dealing with black and white. And they're like, why are you always doing black and white? Where's the color? Where's the color? This person has an association with that medium and, and that composition of something. And that's what they kind of keep doing. And it almost turns to a thing where they might not just be the artist for you, you know, not saying that the person is lacking in skill set or lacking in perspective, but they might have their strong perspective. Like, like, like we were kind of mentioning before this, I like him because of his perspective and he's so strong in it. Um, not that I got to agree with it, but he's not trying to figure out his, right. where yeah. he's going. He knows exactly where he's going. And I almost give him credit for the confidence. Even if that, even if that trail is going to drive him off a cliff, he knew where he was going. He was confident in his driving. And it's for me to either be in the car or get out of the car. And so I happen to like his work. I know it's not for everybody. I know it could be quirky as hell. I know it could be, um, not linear it could be kind of like over the place but i like stuff like that even when he doesn't give me a clean cut answer he leaves me in a good comfortable space where i figure i could find my way home i don't feel like i got dropped off i know people who do the same kind of stuff that he does in a way as far as having convoluted maybe endings to stuff or giving you just enough information to do something with it that I like how he does that because I've been on journeys before where somebody's almost too smart for their own good and they don't really care about the person in the car and they just kind of drop them off and it's like, well, you figure out how to get home. Here you go. I gave you two hours out. You figure out how to get back versus at least somebody giving you like, well, here's a map and a compass. <laughs> I so, okay. One other thing before we get into this that reminded me and made me think of Atlanta and its other work was an episode that we discussed, uh, the goof that sat behind the door, in the way that the style and the detail to a setup is so clean that if you walked into the room, you could possibly be thinking you're watching something that is real. And there was an episode of Swarm that if you didn't know any better, you know, you would have mistaken it for an actual thing which I thought was brilliantly done. And it kind of reminded me that the whole documentary thing and discovery of information and pulling in 
you know, experts for confirmation. And so I really dig that kind of stuff. That was the key factor that brought me home with, like, it was already feeling familiar. Yeah, yeah. But when that episode started, uh, it was called Falling Through the Cracks. Mm-hmm. It didn't start with the disclaimer or the claimer. It wasn't a disclaimer on Swarm. It was a, <laughs> it didn't start off with the claimer, you know. Exactly. Uh, exactly. It was all intentional. Anything that looks like and sounds like, or even represents or seem like, it is what we mean to do. It's intentional. Well, so earlier, you know, in our conversation, that's what I was referring to with the gentleman who's, you know, who critiqued and was like, this episode felt like, you know, he critiqued one of the better episodes and it felt like a filler. And it's like, no, like this is part of his signature style is to get you Googling things. You know, the same thing with the end of episode three, Taste. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, snap. And you instantly Google it. Mm-hmm. Are we doing spoilers on this? Yeah, we're going in, man. I don't want to pacify this conversation. I can see how it's going to go. So like how the same thing with like the end of episode three, you know, when uh, the two gentlemen on the dock was like, that's the lady from Love and Basketball. (laughs) Then all of a sudden it dawned on me. This is like, I already knew that. Let's say we need to say this. The show's about Beyonce fans. We have to say this. Beyonce? Beyonce's rapper husband, Beyonce more talented sister, mm-hmm. Beyonce's mom. Yeah. So now Lathan <laughs> biting Beyonce. The beehive, the tickets that's the price of a mortgage. Yeah. I thought it was crazy, ironic, and very, very interesting. I'll say that, that he would have Chloe, who is signed to Beyonce, has a, a singing group with her sister that's signed to Beyonce, be in a show that is kind of, I don't know if this show would be considered complimentary to her necessarily, but I was surprised that he would have her in this show, being her connection to Beyonce. I think that's the interesting thing, you know, and Donald Glover would be able to probably understand this more than we would, is that you may have a, I, I, I bet one of the better ways that you sleep at night and have to, uh, is to have a disconnect from what your fans do. Like you can't be responsible for for those things. You do the art that you have to believe that you're doing the art that you love and you're just giving them a piece of what you want to give them right. and the fandom and all those other things. You have to just go on and live your life. So I could imagine that a Beyonce or someone like that, you know, this is just another piece of art that's either about, and, and it's kind of not even about her like if I'm her, I'm not offended. It, oh, the show's about Beyonce, yeah, as a brand, as a whole, um, and the Beehive. Now, if I'm the Beehive, I'm offended. Um, Was it wrong? Again, <laughs> no, but then again, it's like I'm also probably needing to take a, a hard look, which is part of that blowback I mentioned earlier. Some of Donald Glover's criticism of this, and like I said we know it's a whole team of people who make this show but everyone's pointing at donald glover i think part of it is the beehive has to strike back you know and i think part of it is like well we got to say something you know people are like well we're not crazy you know not all of us at least and the fact that each incident you can tie back to like someone running on stage right like all the things that are tied to the, the fandom come from true stories and that is but yeah to go back to your point like yeah i think there's such a disconnect with these artists that they 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 can't 
tie themselves in with opinion and thoughts. So I bet she probably, once again, also when it comes to the person of Beyonce, I don't think, you know, some people you just don't imagine is connected the way we're connected. Like we got time to be connected. Right. Yeah, I don't, you know, like, do you think she knows that this show even existed? Yes. Yes, I, I surely think she, yes. I surely think she, yeah. Yeah. Whatever cave she was in, she came out of to watch this show. Yes, she probably binged it. Yes. You 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 think? Yeah, I think. I think. Like I said, this is, this is the first time I ever saw anything like this that would be so closely... You know, sometimes people try to go so far around the lines that, you know, it's kind of like, is that who they meant? And that's not, you know, like they would have to have a talk with the writer or director to figure out, did you really mean this? And they could vaguely say like, you know, it was a part this person and part that one and a little bit of my own life experience. No, this is straight up. Even the, the style of the videos, the way she was dressing. Only thing that I thought was different that wasn't Beyonce is that she was a brown skinned woman everything else was dead on to even to her more soulful talented sister could it be an indi- even <laughs> even choosing to make her look more like kelly Rowland is that an indictment of the you know most people feel that kelly's more talented i didn't want to say that but yeah <laughs> and so like in reality it's like yeah we're gonna make nija um you know more like kelly and yeah yeah that could be it too like, like there's, there's a lot behind what the per- and here's the thing this is the part where we have to like discard Donald Glover to some extent in this process and pay attention to the fact that a lot of this stuff was written by black women and a lot of this show wasn't just you know like Donald Glover sitting there writing this or Stephen Glover this was other people participating and so it, it, it's interesting to see like what filtered through you know like into you know to what we got I can imagine it like Yo, I, yeah, this is a dope project. I just, I could, man, I wish I could have been in that writer's room just to see. I wish I could read a first draft just to see what the difference was. Right. And I have a sneaky suspicion that um, <laughs> it's almost like an unauthorized bi- uh, biography on, on somebody. I've never seen anything this close to something. And like I said, they even leaned in saying it's intentional. So for it to be this close to something and having the nerve to go ahead and pushing through with it, I haven't seen it and it almost made it uncomfortable because you knew who they were talking about and I was kind of thinking like is there any kind of repercussion for this and that was even with his own story of you know we got Dre that's the main character in this situation and she starts off seemingly normal you know she got a roommate you know you don't know what she does you, you figure she has a job she looks pretty young but she's not young enough to be a kid necessarily and she's trying to buy these tickets for this concert you see social media and they're you know you going to the Nija concert and all this kind of stuff and you see they're going through this process of trying to buy tickets and she's buying tickets as a as a surprise gift and you figure out these tickets are like 1800 bucks a pop and you see her going through you know she got a brand new credit card that she's trying to run because she obviously don't have the money on hand to get no ticket like that you even hear people on social media talking about how expensive it is and how they can't afford it like oh i gotta pay rent this month so i guess i'm gonna have to pass I bet you if there was a thing of Beyonce being aware of it or her team being aware of this show, yeah, I can guarantee you the timing of them dropping their tickets being a month before the show drops, <laughs> probably perfect timing because there might have been a few people who, who after watching that was like, 
I don't want to be a Dre. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. so I wonder what that had affected, like if the movie, you know, if this show would have come out before. Yeah. So I think that probably was a real life tie-in that they were like, we need to get these, uh, we need to go ahead and get these concert tickets out, out for sale right now mm-hmm. uh, before this, this show comes out. Because I'm pretty sure the show would have affected some concert sales because in real life, her tickets really were, those were real life prices they were showing. That's the yes. case. It wasn't exaggerated. Like I said, the only exaggerated thing is that they had the Beyonce character as a brown skinned woman. <laughs> Everything else was pretty much on point. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think when it's about fandom and when it's about the personhood, like the character of Beyonce, right? Mm-hmm. And not never having her speak, never slandering her, never saying anything specific. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's one of the things to get to pass because there's nothing negative is really inferred about her. Like I'm watching it and it's just a reflection of what, you know, of what her product is. But it's it's definitely not a, you know, like she can't be associated with the psychopath killer. I mean, maybe you could change my mind. (laughs) I don't know. No, but I, okay. It's almost kind of like, like a bus runs over a whole bunch of people and they make this whole accident happen. Now it's a Greyhound bus and you have an actual driver who was driving the bus and it's associated. Like you could do damage with stuff just because you're not the one driving, but if it's connected with you, you could still do damages to others outside of yourself. And you could be away and not concerned and, and dealing with the day to day. That don't, doesn't mean that you're not potentially harming and making situations a problem. That's kind of like how government is. <laughs> they're, they're not exactly doing it to you, but you know, they they kind of can move things to be a problem um, and, and still be, you know, have fair, be fair to say like, I, hey, I didn't do it. It wasn't me directly. I got an off the wall question for you. All right. Uh-oh. Pun intended, <laughs> pun intended here. Some off the wall question is, do you think Beyonce's fandom is anything on the level of Michael Jackson's and what Michael Jackson's was? Put it like this, when I hear Michael Jackson fans, if anything, it's more of being about humanity and connecting. Like if they didn't like somebody because of the color of their skin, Michael would have been that bridge to be like, if you like Michael too, then we're, we're cool. Like he did so much stuff of giving and helping that I, I, no, I wouldn't even just like, just like, I don't think Prince would even have fans that would be like negative. I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think I don't, it's the same thing. I, I think Mike that had some crazy accusations come at him and fans refused to listen. Like fans were like, don't matter. We will hurt whoever said you know like there was some ugly things being said and you heard of people saying that they was going to hurt somebody because they they said stuff about michael well i've heard i've seen i've actually seen a couple of people argue and fight like about you know i get to get to blows which probably was a deeper seated issue over michael jackson issues which was after his death Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um that that particular fight that i saw but that didn't have anything to do with Mike's fandom. I was just saying, like, there's a difference between, like, yeah. the most extreme case of fandom we've ever seen. Because you got to remember, Michael Jackson had grown men passing out, fainting, 
crying yeah. at concerts. And, you know, but with Beyonce, you're saying it's a little bit different? Yes, for sure. I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying it's different. Um, yeah. You can just tell from social media. Matter of fact, the fact that we even know what the beehive is and we're not thinking good things says a lot. <laughs> the, the fact that the reputation kind of secedes the, the name. And then I when you think take about some the. Time right now to do a disclaimer Jay speaks for Jay. <laughs> I'm not saying anything about the beehive. All I'm saying is those but, but... are some loyal fans. Yeah, you're funny and they are, but like, you know, to me, almost like they're, they're kind of proud of it, that people fear them and they could, and the thing about it is it's, it's a beautiful thing. If you're moving things or making things happen for a good reason, I don't know, like I said, you know, you can use a bat to hit a ball to hit the home run game, or you can use it and beat somebody over the head. It, it just depends on how you're using the tool that you have in hand and, you know, I, I don't know. I, maybe I just, they, maybe they just highlights when they tear things down. Maybe this maybe it just highlights that kind of stuff more. Maybe that stuff gets more promoted. But every time I hear about the beehive or any of those kind of groupings and stuff, it's it's almost kind of like I'm thinking the killer bee swarm coming to get you kind of thing more so than they're coming to bring you cookies and a hug. <laughs> I, I've never heard of the beehive going to children's hospital or <laughs> making a donation to the local whatever you know, what girls in STEM classes or anything like that. Not saying that they don't, but I, I don't hear of them in, in such things. Um, not to say that they don't, but you know, but you know, when you hear that beehive, matter of fact, you knew enough about it to give a disclaimer. <laughs> I don't understand why you still talking about it. <laughs> That's what Edis is for. If I went too far and I listened to this and I feel like I went too far, I'll adjust it. <laughs> <laughs> so looking at looking at the show, at, you know, the setup of the show, it's a brilliant show, like we've already said. The main character is Dre, uh, Drea Green, who ends up being Tony by the end of the show. I did not see that coming. <laughs> I Ow. did not. How did you not see that coming? How That's did I not crazy. see that? Are you serious? You didn't see that coming? No. To me, the entire time I watched it, this character was so disconnected from sexuality that the opening scene, there was no real reaction. Right. To which was crazy to, to like, that went back to like Monsters Ball when it comes to like sex scenes, like I did not expect to see that like so soon. Me either. Like on the first episode, but um, but she, this character was so disconnected from sexuality. Right. To me, and it's just my opinion. And I was just like, this character gives off a feel to me that like that their sexuality isn't or their gender identity. It was like, to me, for some reason, I, I thought that was coming. Even when Dre went to the strip club, and the weird Niger dance, like it was this disconnection from sexuality. And not to say, so like when she switches genders and then you see a more open relationship um, with affection, you know, it's like, then now I'm like, okay, so maybe to me, I, that's the way I kind of saw that character's story arc in relationship to that. So the Tony character made sense or switching to Tony made sense. 
Okay, so I like like you said, it starts off with that, and I figured that you know she wasn't you know like asexual. She wasn't really into to anything. But then also there were times when throughout the episodes where different women tried to hit on her or you know tried to see if she was that way, and she was kind of like she she wasn't trying to have it either. So I took it as when that popped up with the Tony thing, I kind of assumed that you know, she figured that they were coming after her. So she was kind of in hiding. So I, that's how I took it. And so when the chick was trying to kind of get at her and kind of give her her play, I kind of thought that she didn't want to be in a situation. And she was kind of like, I can't really, I don't really want to blow the cover. And I'm really trying to do my thing and kind of, you could tell she wasn't really engaging, right? And it's almost kind of like, you know, and that's why she wasn't really fooling with her until she needed a place to stay because her car got taken and the cops were coming. And so she needed a place to go. Otherwise, I thought she would have hit the chick up if she was into her like that. It was just her and Nyjah, really. And so I didn't take it as her, you know, like she might have, like, obviously they had like a relationship for two months, but I kind of took it as a relationship of convenience, but not that she necessarily, you know, it was almost like having her sister back more so than it was her lady to me. Even though she presented herself, you know, like a like a dude and, you know, met her family and stuff. It just, I just took it that that's what she was doing to, to kind of, and to me, it was like the first time she seemed like she actually considered that what she was doing had repercussions because the way she was kind of taking out people and then staying in their place and eating their food and, you know, taking their cars and just kind of just moving around doing, you know, I thought it was very interesting that that's the first time I ever really noticed her, um, like they're coming for me and I can't just keep moving reckless. Like I need to hide out. I can't just be in plain sight like I'm doing thinking everything is fine anymore. So that's how I took it. Yeah. Now it's, it's an interesting way. Like there's so many different ways to break it down. Um, what's the director's last name? It's Janine. Uh, was it Neighbors? I'm not sure um, how to pronounce it, but but and i was watching an interview where she really described the dread character as like an alien and, and in the sense of like if you want to look at it from a sci-fi point of view maybe she is but if you know but the reality is she's just an alien amongst you know her peers which is how once again we we attribute that to like what we were talking about earlier the concept of like this is the the angle that Donald Glover gives us this is an angle of how you feel as a geek or a person in you know in geekdom uh who's like still steeped in a in like hip-hop culture or some other different culture that might be prevalent in your in, in your community you right. feel like the outlier and that's who Drea was being adopted mm-hmm. uh, we learn you know a full backstory but we were given pieces bits and pieces of the backstory throughout the show and so as they gave us these little breadcrumb trails of uh really the what i call like the midsummer episode um really busted it open when we were able to see that was the, the episode with billy eilish and mm-hmm. uh paris jackson uh, <laughs> that was so meta <laughs> the paris jackson joke was hilarious <laughs> when she said mixed with what <laughs> exactly it cracked me up i'm like on here she's still trying to pass that thing as, a, <laughs> as she's mixed talking about we're gonna be the black Thelma and louise i'm like who you just, 
Who just Dre? <laughs> it, it's it's crazy because that's part of and this is the funny thing about we just talked about being moonwalkers, Michael Jackson fans. We were like, yeah, sure, Mike, whatever. But right. all knew, like maybe blanket, maybe why he had to cover him in a blanket because that was his black child. <laughs> oh, you stupid! <laughs> but because that's the way because you did like you know i don't know there's some interesting things to say because i'm not gonna sit here and say mike didn't have been a ligo yeah but most people who do have been a ligo you have a choice on what makeup you're gonna wear whether you're gonna lighten or whether you're gonna go ahead and darken and he chose to lighten and so that kind of told us that there was something there was some colorism or something going on there that's just all opinion but yeah, so for Paris Jackson to like not look like, and for the Jackson family for us to know that there's no other Jackson kid who has who looks like that, we it's like yeah we accept that you're Mike's child, but you're not biologically, you know it's it's like that. But yeah, yeah, like I, I think that whole situation, I mean that whole joke was so necessary, like because it show it goes to show that there, there's something about joining up and signing up for a show that makes you laugh at yourself but who that else would have went there who else would have went there with that with her because people been saying like you know those those are not his kids forever since they were little kids you know you know blue eyes fair skin and all this other kind of stuff like you know so you barely hear people even saying that like you never hear an interview really with somebody just calling out that really you know what i mean it's like a kind of a you know we roll our eyes, but we know the truth kind of thing. So for the show to even lean in on it as if that character thinks that she's black and, and the, and the one black person next to her is looking like, who are you talking about? It's just like, yeah, that's what we'd be thinking when, when Michael was trying to say that was his kid looking at, looking at her and the rest of her brothers thinking like, who are you talking about? Like that's, is that even possible? You know, you, you don't found the, you know, even with the blue eyes, like it'd be (laughs) like how far, on the other side of the scale, can you go and you still talking, you know, the black Thelma and Louise? Yeah, that that whole episode. <laughs> I don't know if we're gonna go in order of episodes or do you, you know? I say just pick out the ones that really touched you or, or you want to connect to. So while we're talking about that particular episode, which it's officially it's not called the Midsummer. <laughs> episode but <laughs> it had a midsummer theme to it uh that was the running scared episode uh which is episode four the interesting thing about that episode for me was that it speaks to how we receive and how black women are perceived so the beehive has a violent connotation to it you know but they're both it's a cult You know, it's a like it can be perceived, or you know, they're all worshiping this one particular person. And then you have like this group of women in this particular episode, all white women recruit her into this, and they're just as obsessed. They're just as, as off, and they're it's the exact same thing as the beehive, so to speak. Or what is it called on the show? They called it the beehive too much. Um, but the truth of the matter is, it's the exact same thing. It's yeah. it just goes to show. And this is Donald Glover yet again, like you had said, that crossover. This is one of the things that their team is consistently doing. 
is showing white women in a way that black people kind of see them or showing the people the other side. And that's that was my big takeaway with that yeah. from that and episode. And it's not being yelled or being like, look at them or whatever. And you watching it. And like I said, you're more, you're not surprised, but you're surprised you're seeing it. Not what's happening, but seeing it. And real quick, were you talking about the Drake character earlier? She definitely was in the world, but not of it kind of a situation, the way she kind of moved around. Everything was either new to her for an experience or she looked at it strangely as if it was something unfamiliar and it's the basic stuff. So uh, alien, the alien concept, like you said, yeah, that definitely, I feel, describes her well. Almost kind of like um, Brother from Another Planet. I think it's called Brother from Another Planet. It came out in the 80s where it was this alien that was black and he was going through America and kind of noticing all this stuff that's going on that we deal with as black Americans. It's Mars on the Hudson. It's Cheers goes to Harlem. Get you something to drink, brother. It's E.T. rides the Underground Railroad. Want to see me make all the white people disappear? 125th Street, thing. That was fantastic. It's the brother from another planet. Give me five, brother. White folks get strange all the time. It's John Sayles' dazzling and propelling comedy hit. It's the box office blast guaranteed to open your eyes. The brother from another planet. Yeah. And he was unaware of all of it. And he was experiencing it all for the first time. So it kind of reminded me of that. Yeah, brother from another planet, 1984. Okay. Yeah. I had never seen it. With check Joe it. Morton? Yeah, Joe Morton. Yep. You got to check it out. It's an interesting take. It's almost like that's the only way you can have a black person fall out of nowhere, land in mid-America, and have to see all the crazy stuff that we got to deal with and go through. And he has brand new eyes that never seen all this stuff before. She walks around the same way. Well, the concept of that is also indicative to what foster children go through. You know, the oh. and I see that all the time with wow. the nonprofit that my wife and I run with the Naturally Beautiful Project. You take these black children who are often coming from different African countries, or in some cases being plucked out of their own, you know, community, black communities in America, and then being brought into white America. And it's an alien situation. People are gawking, they want a particular pattern of behavior. And typical of like the Dreas situation, uh, if it doesn't work out just right, they throw them back. Yeah. What I thought was interesting too about her character and her behavior, even though I recognize kind of how she was, to me, I would see that more common with black males than I would a woman. So when I was watching this with my lady, she said, uh, you know, that she was hearing that people were saying that maybe she was autistic or whatever. I was like, she could just be a geek black dude that just kind of, <laughs> that that was just kind of like awkward enough where he never really connected and walk around like that. You know what I mean? So when I saw her, I related to her, you know, like as how it would be for a guy. Not saying women like that don't exist, but I can imagine more dudes walking around like that type of person than, you know, that's what I thought when I saw her behaving like that. So to me, it didn't, 
you know, like an awkward person that just kind of likes certain kind of things and they just kind of lean into what they're good at or what they know and everything else kind of be damned, you know. So that's how I kind of took it when uh, her behavior, how she was acting. Yeah. Beautiful. Brilliant character. Very yes. brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant character. So we were talking about um, episode four, that running scared of the cult and stuff like that's the episode to me that reminded me of uh, Jordan Peele. It reminded me of yeah. Get, get out, out for one, you know, because you got the situation with the you know, hypnosis. She'd take care of that for you. How? Hypnosis. I'm good, actually. And uh, and the cult kind of situation, and uh, even the the wide-eyed with the tears running down the face. No, 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 no. And conflict with reality and hidden truths that's being forced out of the person. Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. <laughs> like all that stuff I thought it was just like his take on get out you know and then the fact that she's wearing almost like the orange reddish kind of jumpsuit that reminded me of what they wore in us so I thought that was kind of like an homage to Jordan Peele that episode just because of how all that stuff and then to even have to take out the people on the way out even that kind of thing where grandma's in front of the car got hit and all that kind of stuff even the woman getting ran over all that stuff to me was like a, a short version of get out like a 30 minute a 30 minute version of Get Out. And I thought it was still his story in the way he did it, but it had a whole bunch of, it checked a whole bunch of boxes. Well, I think, especially when you take a look at like how the episode kind of begins where the cop who clearly, you know, sees blood, but it feels like the cop really just turned her over to like the cult. But even that part was like reminding me of Get Out when, you know, white girlfriend, when it's like, hey, let me see your ID. From the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. And she's like, well, he's not driving. What do you need his ID for? You being racist? And the cop just kind of backs off, not knowing that she didn't want him to turn into ID because what she was going to do to him, she didn't want the cop to be able to trace him back later. So even though she was acting like she was defending him, she was really protecting herself so she wouldn't be caught out later. And so this woman did the same thing for her. The cop was harassing her. You know, what are you doing in this town? I'm going to a concert. Oh, you're going to the concert. Where are you staying? Oh, okay. I'll follow you to make sure you get there. And then what happens? The white woman comes out, talk to the cop. What'd you say to the cop? Oh, told me he was being racist and he drove off. And so, and you could be right as far as, because he would know those women probably and that, you know, I'm sure it would be a secret that they have that whole little, you know, culture up there for the most part. But, um, but the funny thing about it is, okay, so I wasn't worried when, when you start finding out that they knew that her name wasn't right. You know, they knew her name was wrong. They knew that something went down in that car because it was blood in the car. So you knew they knew everything and they wasn't ejecting her. But that just goes to show you that they were probably doing the same thing, if not worse, and they wasn't tripping about it. So it was no big deal. And I thought it was interesting how, even though as crazy as it was, I think she was really getting help. <laughs> I think they was really helping her work through her stuff, you know, even admitting possible things well, that she did that she blanked out on or didn't want to admit to herself as far as like the accident that happened at her grandma's house with the milk that turned out to be red and things like that or you know her being away from her phone even forgetting that it was a concert that night even forgetting that nausea which is her her ultimate beacon she even forgot about her for a moment so i thought that you know as crazy as they were they were kind of getting through to her and actually kind of you know, helping her get through. Yeah, I think part of that is 
to me, when I, my interpretation of that was like, how do we keep you here? Like, and that's to, you know, get into your brain, you'll stay. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I kind of thought that it was more or less like, and she threatened her with that when she said, okay, I want to leave. She was like, well, we know everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's, you know, it wasn't like a help type situation as much as like it helped us as an audience get to know who she was but I think they were just going to leverage it to kind of keep her uh, like a slave in their system even with that I think that she never talked about that stuff before she got some insight in what was going with her kind of broke of her addiction until she remembered and it kept her off the road from killing more people so to me for those reasons I think she's <laughs> yeah. not, saying, not saying that she needs to be you know, held captive, but nobody was murdered during that time she was there. If anything, she was getting to know her own mind about what was kind of going on. You know, even though she didn't want that, she was getting help. It's almost kind of like, I think one thing could do two things at the same time. I think that the cult was trying to keep her there and trap her. And I think she's also getting some much needed help that she wasn't getting from running around place to place, killing people. Well, and that's part of slipping through the cracks. You know, like after that very first trauma, she was somehow allowed to go skate all the way into adulthood until a major trauma then snapped, made her snap, which was us. We'll eventually get back to episode one, (laughs) you know, but like this, this trauma happens. um, And then all of a sudden she becomes this killer because she never dealt with the first time that she you know or what this this spilled milk of like was the spilled milk the grandmother's death was it like one of her you know parents death or like what was it did she accidentally kill someone or did she just witness someone die and you know so like this whole the, the that then that reveal is is so important to us learning and understanding this character a little bit more because we always had like this man she's she's crazy kind of thing like that's the language we may have put to it uh and then all of a sudden you started to and it's as morbid as it might sound like we started kind of root for her a little bit because it's like oh man she didn't have some sort of trauma so like i started rooting for wanting to see like i wanted us to see what's wrong with her once i start seeing her get help which was what <laughs> Like, it was like, yo, this is, which we haven't talked about it, but like Dominique Fishback, it's, you don't get awards for stuff like this, but you should. The stuff that entertains us yeah, really needs to start being the things that gets the awards because I'm not going to watch any of those movies that are any of those TV shows that are, I'm going to watch some of the shows, but for the most part, we're not watching these shows that are, that are winning the Oscars and right. the, I mean, the, the Emmys and stuff. Right. This is, and Dominique Fishback's performance in this, she should definitely get an Emmy. Like yeah. it was brilliant. Yeah, um, for sure. This I think this is some of her best work and because of what it's attached to and associated with, it probably would never get the love that it deserves. But to get this kind of performance, you're gonna have to have good writing and a good story and a brave direction. And that's what's happening with this. You know, movies nowadays, for the most part, they're all safe. They're all telling the same kind of story. It's a variation of something. And this was definitely like a journey of, of a person going through, I guess, a psychotic breakdown, you know, just the process of it. And so much 
We kind of figured out along the way, even without the explanation, you still understood. I won't say I was necessarily rooting for her, but I was curious on what else was going on. I still think that she she was out of it, but I was empathetic to her situation. But even when she started off, I never hated her character. You just didn't understand where she was going. You know what I mean? Like you knew it was off. Maybe I saw like the first trailer, so I didn't know everything that was gonna happen with it. So I just thought it was gonna be about a obsessive fan that wanted to meet this person. I didn't know it was gonna be all this even the way she was picking out people who she had to take out because they were talking you know crap about nausea and stuff and who's your favorite singer or somebody talking mess about the the singer and, and she's going after him and it was just kind of like um <laughs> almost like a young black american psycho or something it was almost kind of one of them kind of situations where you know they're finding their own head it's like the the math adds up in their head and so Everybody else, you better watch out because they're dealing with a different number count than the average person. So, you know, you're saying two, she's saying five. So it's not going to add up and there's going to be a problem. Even with her pretending to be normal, all it takes is one word that she doesn't want to hear or a slight that she feels, you know, that's happening to her or nausea, then, then you have a problem. Because you went from a calm, cool situation to you know, you're silly for this, or, or you're crazy for this, or I hate her music, or she isn't deep, or she's shallow, you know, you done messed up. You done messed up. Yeah, it's a that character, man. It's one of the top, um, if they were to continue with this character, which I don't think they will or should, yeah. it could, but it's one of the better characters that I've seen in a long time uh in this genre you know like that is entertaining and it wasn't about the storyline like we talked we've talked about jordan peele and i think sometimes the story that jordan peele is telling is what we're captivated by mm -hmm. but you can kind of lose some of the character or the characters can get lost in the story and part of that is because they've acted to the script and in dominique fishback's case she brought Dread to life in a way that was very familiar. Like you said, I think almost everyone and use the word like the perfect word for empathetic. Like we all have this part of us that's just like, I, I see some, we hate to say it, but we see ourselves in her. Yeah. Not the murderous part, but we see the things that it, you know, I walked away from the film psychological from a psychological standpoint, like very grateful that I have that filter and that community. That's something that says, Hey, uh, don't go that far. Yeah, yeah. We've all had something and we, we've been either addicted to, obsessed with. Mm -hmm. um, we've all had uh, situations and, and spaces in our life where luckily someone grabbed us yeah, or yeah. we grabbed ourselves and was like, mm, too far. Right. Um, right. So I think my relationship to the setup for the character um, of Drea like, was, was important like before they they revealed to us like the foster care situation the relationship to the sister or to the sister-like character mm -hmm. um that chloe's character was uh, what was her name marissa marissa mm -hmm. the character her relationship to marissa was one that it didn't show marissa as innocent which i thought was very good because you saw marissa taking advantage of her when she took the food um and it left her with a bill down there you know like so you knew marissa was 
was, you know, was kind of also uh, on the shady side as well, or was a person who was probably just taking advantage of having that geeky friend around. Yeah, it was an interesting flip because um, it's kind of, to me, it's kind of convoluted in the beginning of like, so when Marissa, you know, tragedy ends up happening, it was almost hard to tell. I, okay, so I know it was seen to her family and, and folks that, you know, that she has something to do with it. And I thought like, you calling this person a bad influence that is covering for her at work and stuff, but she, like I said, didn't pay for something. She's kind of taking care of it. At first, when they were together, I thought like, is that her lady? Are they, are they in a relationship? And I realized that it was just more like a friendship before I even found, found out they, they, they were sisters. And then she was even telling like, hey, you know, he's not, he's no good. You know, he cheats on you and stuff like that. And it wasn't trying to be like, I'm trying to get rid of him so we could be together. It's kind of like, I'm looking out for you. So I'm thinking like, the girl that you don't want around your, your kid is, is trying to look out for her. Your kid is a mess, basically. I mean, I don't know if everybody sees that, but you find out later on that, you know, she comes from privilege. So a lot of stuff is probably ignored or paid off or just sent away, you know? And so if anything, if you know your child and you were to send them off in a certain condition without at least trying, it, I don't know. It's just when they eventually showed the parents and stuff, it, you kind of felt like, you know, they could have did more than giving her money for rent and letting her have her own place. Yeah, I, I feel you can't control your children, you know, like that. But I'm just saying to me, it, it almost kind of like her response could have been easily. You wasn't there. I was. And it would have sufficed. That would have been a legitimate response, unfortunately. And for the, the parents to kind of like scapegoat and just say it was her, you know, I thought was very interesting and very messed up. Yeah, which is a common space, I guess, of grief, the denial part of it. Yeah. And the character, the Marissa character, if I'm not mistaken, you know, they showed her arm mm -hmm. uh, and she had where you could tell there was a previous suicide attempt, right. or at least she was cutting. Mm -hmm. And so this character, without telling us, we see this character has serious flaws, but yet Drea is, is like, hey, this is the only person loved me or you know and was attached to her and so you can see where drea's obsession is right in part where it's sort of like hey you know you go back to nija nija's music is there at the time of trauma mm -hmm. and so okay i can attach to nija and then marissa at one point i almost had a family things were almost good and only thing that was that remained the only remnant from that situation that was bad was marissa and so you see her going into these th this character developing and going into these spaces and 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 becoming obsessed which i think you know we ultimately see kind of toward the end this combination of like her we well we're not even it doesn't even really it does there is a payoff at the end but right. we see throughout this show that she is just as equally obsessed with Marissa as she is with Nyjah. Yes. That it goes hand in hand. So, in the beginning, well, I guess this is the first episode. Did you believe, okay, so Marissa passes away. When she passed away, did you believe her boyfriend had something to do with it when you first saw that? Um, 
No, I didn't think he had something to do with it because of the pattern of behavior that Drea was already exhibiting and the way she was rejected. I thought that Marissa was, we were going to be introduced to Marissa being the first victim. So that was my mindset was stuck into that. Um, and, and then even that Drea going and losing her virginity, um, the weird smashed penis up against the strawberries, like all that stuff didn't seem like it was real. Yeah. Like, so I didn't, it just seemed very odd that she, against her character. And so to me, it was just like kind of a weird space. So I thought maybe she did do it, but she hallucinated past it. It's more mm -hmm. like the blood with the milk kind of thing. That's interesting. I thought the boyfriend did it. Only reason I think she did it is because of the, the the voice messages and stuff. But yeah, if she's delusional, then she could have saw it to be anything. Just like when she thought she was biting a fruit and she was really biting a person. Um, I thought it was the boyfriend at first. And I thought that she was going there to get a confession out of him. And I remember, you know, the message from the from Marissa talking about how she feels sick. She's, she's throwing up and all this other kind of stuff. And so when... The boyfriend, vulnerable, acting like he didn't know what happened. He didn't show up to the funeral. He didn't feel comfortable. She's sitting next to him and and she's kind of asking him, you know, and he gives a, a, a surprisingly honest answer. Like he was afraid and felt a certain kind of way and he never seen a dead body before and all this other kind of stuff. I'm like, oh man, that kid probably didn't have anything to really do with it. And then yeah. he's like, you know, and then even Dre was kind Dre was kind of like tripping, like, oh, I'm kind of surprised because you're the one trying to, you know, trying to, you know, trying to get at me. And so for him, because you thought he's going to lean in for a kiss, right? And then he kind of pulls away and he's like, hey, do you want some tea? You know, my mom makes this tea. So when he was preparing the tea, I was thinking like, oh, he poisoned the girlfriend. And that's why she was choking and throwing up because and now he's going to give Dre the tea as well. That's what I thought. That's Ooh. what I thought. I like that's a good fan theory. I would throw that one out there. That's what I thought. But then she ended up beating him before he got a chance to. But I don't think that she's read it like that. But that's what I thought had happened. But then later on, I was thinking like, well, no, because he was feeling feeling really bad. But that's what I thought was up. But he's going to try to take her out, yeah. too. Yeah, like he's not Franklin on this show. Like now <laughs> Franklin would have been like, yeah, drink the tea, you know, <laughs> so, but right, right. I think, yeah, I mean, this is one of the bigger debates about Swarm right now is that, did she kill Marissa? You know, like, did she kill her and then just, you know, literally pretended like she didn't fake, you know, all like, like you said, she, throughout the show, she seen text messages from Marissa, who's dead, who's gone. So like, she's seeing what she wants to see. So who's to say she didn't see all of those other things as she comes to I was kind of curious with that because before when she tried, all right, she knew she was gone, but she texted her and then her phone, she saw her phone was still there plugged in and she got the message that she sent to Marissa. And so we find out later that the phone that she has is Marissa's. So I guess she's using Marissa's phone and going into her social media and all the other kind of stuff. So I was assuming that she was just kind of using her phone to be her connection in a way. And that's why when the phone stopped working, she went to go visit 
you know, Marissa's parents, when you come to find out it was her parents as well, her foster parent. And that was a very interesting encounter with the mom in the first place, her reaction or lack thereof, and then the father's overreaction. And actually on one part where Dre is stuck in the kitchen, dad has the shotgun. He's talking about how, how dare you show up in his house? You done killed my daughter. You took her away from me, blah, 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 blah. He takes a pause, pick up a glass of some brown liquor, takes a sip, put it down. I call that the Tyler Perry moment. And I thought this is just too much. <laughs> Please no, not this. And then the mom responds in a dry, out of focus response in the background. I'm like, what did this show just turn into? What is, what is this? But seeing that, right? Seeing that scene came back later on and it gave me a, a different understanding of why it may have been shot that way. But that scene in particular, threw me off and it didn't feel consistent with the more, even though it's just been fanciful and kind of crazy, it kind of took me out of it, you know, and if the devs played by Ain't nobody coming to see you, Otis. Leon. Who directed that episode? That might also explain some of it because I know uh, Adama Ebo, mm -hmm. and I, and I don't think her sister did it with her or her partner did it with her. But, you know, that's one of the two directors of uh, Hunk for Jesus. Oh. Save Your Soul. And, you know, that was like a student film they did then ended up getting, you know, greenlit in Hollywood later. Yeah. yeah. But if she directed that, that could be in lock and step with maybe what her particular style was, you know, okay. or is. Um okay. So that could be part of it. You know, that's just me, you know, stabbing in a dark ball. I know it could have been Donald or Steven or um, what's the other person who produces or who directs all of their episodes, the directs with them. Um, I can't think of the dude's name, but he didn't direct none of these, did he? Ebra. Is it Ebra or something like that? Yeah. Uh, let me look it up. I can't remember. Uh, I'm sitting there making all these guesses and IMBD is just like one tab away. Let me... <laughs> Um, Why well, guess yeah. when you could click and get the answer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Adama, if I'm saying her name right, did three episodes. Okay, uh, he did. I, I'm not gonna. Yeah, it is like I think it's like Ebra, but I've only read it. I've never heard it said. Mm -hmm. um, two episodes. Donald one episode. Stephen one episode. Writers, interesting discussion because you know who's been getting a lot of attention, Malia Obama. Yes. I was going to mention that that uh, it was an interesting connection tie-in with having her involved with this. Uh, well, you talk about someone feeling like an alien. Right, <laughs> right, right. And the thing about it is, if you're skilled enough or have the right hands with you, you can express that and, and make it make sense. You know what I mean? Um, so that could be a great resource in a way if you know how to use it. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I think that could be one of the reasons why that and then also Leon is Leon man yeah. I think he he's gonna bring that to the screen you know because that's Leon's style um he you've never seen him not be over the top with his shirt off you know like right. a, yeah like, yeah he's he, yeah he walking off shotgun of his boxer shorts and no shirt on and a, and a house coat uh with his socks on okay I have a, another theory on why that was the way it was seeing like how 
once she got to the phone, like she had to go get the phone fixed. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things that that popped out to me, and then I, I saw a fan a, a fan theory on this too. I was like, ooh, that makes sense. The guy was one of the first people to really call her out as crazy that wasn't currently being killed by her. Uh, the guy at the store. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that they pointed out was that he was one of the first characters who didn't really want anything from her. Like, that wasn't potentially attracted, wasn't trying to use her, wasn't downing her. Like, all the women characters were either in the midst of shaming her, downing her, or trying to use her. Where all the male characters were either attracted to her or trying to get something from her. And so this was the first person who just really, one of the first characters who really didn't want anything. There was that one man who thought she was someone else, so he helped her get into the club, the uh, health club. But other than that, he was the first character that just was neutral, and he called it out like, mm, some ain't right. And I thought that was interesting because he was first one not attracted or not wanting anything. I took that as we never found out what he thought of nausea. I think that's why he's alive. Because the question never came up. Seriously, people who die had an issue with nausea. It's even her woman, you know, at the end. That's almost like a trick question. Like, you know, you don't ask. But she asked everybody. She didn't get a chance to ask him. That's why he's probably alive. Let him say, like, <laughs> let him let a nausea song come on or a video while he was up in that phone store talking some mess about nausea. She would have met him in the back room and he would have been handled. I'm sure of it. Cause I ain't yeah. seen nobody on there that talked about nausea badly and lived. No, you're right. You're Stra- right. Strangers or loved ones. You're right. It did she, come up. When her girlfriend folded those tickets in half, I'm like, that's like snapping your own neck. <laughs> you just snapped your own neck and put it in your own back pocket. Cause you are in trouble, sister. You done messed up. Now, kind of along the same token of conversation of, of Drea's relationships. Uh-huh. Yo, that the relationship she had with dude on the taste episode, when which was not a sexual relationship, right? But was oddly sexual, you know, kind of like where they were both eating the food and you know, like she got him to like kind of relapse on junk food or whatever. Mm-hmm. That episode, like he survived. Like all she did was just put him in the freezer, ultimately with a cake, but it was weird how she like shared some sort of bond mm-hmm. or something with him and didn't kill him. Nyjah never came up. There was just this, you know, and, and she was on her way to kill someone else and something. And then she gets this, you know, like she sees what she wants to see and some mm-hmm. says, follow the jacket. Yeah, yeah. But, but like I said, she wasn't hurting anybody who wasn't talking bad about nausea. She just didn't come up. And the thing about it is, she probably wouldn't have came up because he's a DJ. And usually what people do for their living is not what they talk about when they're off. So that's probably why the music, if he was talking about, <laughs> maybe he was a filmmaker and he was talking about music, he would have brought her up and probably would end up dead <laughs> if he didn't like her music. Because you think about it, even the stri- the strippers, when they went to the to that guy's house, the car broke down, they got a ride from that guy that she was looking for, that truck driver, remember? And they went to his house and she thought she was going to kill him with a frying pan, that big old dude. And he gets on top of her about to take her out. And, and then those, you know, those strippers came in and, you know, one of them shot the guy and, and Dre left him, <laughs> left was- him at the crime scene. 
it was crazy because I think what what to me about that was like that started to make me think it was the establishment of her as a serial killer in a very intentional way. Like, I'm going to look on here. If you say something about Nyjah, I'm going to come to where you are and I'm going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And such an integral plot to like, oh, he likes being at the strip club. I'll go to the strip club. Mm-hmm. Ends up killing other people, but it's like means to an end. Got it. Because actually, the people she, when she ends up killing the boyfriend uh, of the stripper, that had nothing to do with Nyjah, right? That I am not for sure. Right. So no, it's I'm like, not for sure. It was like, you know, we were seeing her get this thirst for murder to some extent. So like it had I don't to be know. some kind of association. Cause I cause it's nobody else she, she killed that wasn't associated with, with nausea. Everybody even, else she even when she killed Well, she killed the other character or she killed the stripper because um well, she didn't say anything about Nigel at all, did she? She she killed which which stripper? Oh, you talking about talking Paris Jackson? Yeah, she didn't say anything about. I thought that came up, but I can't. Was remember. it that she kept referring to her? her she kept saying it. Halsey was was. Great. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, she's like, you don't like her over Nigel? Well, no, Halsey. So, so there you go. But I I thought it was so funny when um, one of the strippers had you know walked up to her behind the strip club and was like what are you doing sing, you know you dancing doing that lame dance to that nausea song so ain't that song about a dead baby <laughs> Stri- you stripping to a sad song about a dead baby a baby dying and i was like oh my goodness it was just like it's just the funny truths of situations but I was just like yeah, cause that whole thing was so awkward and weird and what's her thing with pie and eating people's food and stuff like she was just killing and eating people's food well, it's what a, it's what bees do, you know, like it's the it's a swarm, you know, like they are attracted to sweetness. And mm. so I kind of I thought that was it. One of the things that was masterful about this show, too, was how they use soundscape to draw the story. Yeah, that was the swarm sound. There was just individual sounds like of even the chewing like there was so many different things that also gave you the creeps that like let you know they're like oh man this you know it, it drew the story in more than anything um when it came to that stretch where she's killing right, and right. so um you know yeah hats off to the people who you know who did that because sometimes stories don't drive the way they can because people don't need they ignore the sound you know like and so just the swarm sound in itself was was terrifying like sometimes like that's that was the thing that separated you out from the character and you realize oh i am watching like a horror film or i am watching you know i don't know what category this gets put in but you know what i'm saying like to me that's what i kind of feel like it is yeah, it's definitely like a thriller, horror, comedy, you know. It had a, it had a lot of lot of things going at once, which most good things are, you know. Sometimes you just got to pick one because you just need one for a category, but they really encompass so many different things at the same time. Um, okay, so episode six, the falling through the cracks, right? Like you brought it up before. That episode was brilliant. Mm-hmm. 
like I said, that's the one that reminded me of, you know, the episode of Atlanta, that goof that sat by the door. Um, I have my feelings on it and what I think is going on or happened with it. What did you think of that episode? Well, I got two things to say about that. One, this is your last time using it, unless you use it brilliantly uh, on a show where you take us out and give us a, you know, and make me have to be looking things, typing up. Yeah. I'm not going to fall for this again, okay? <laughs> and so um, I liked it because it was a little bit more subtle than, of course, uh, the the goof. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I am going to, like, just keep comparing it to Atlanta, you know, because that's what it reminded most of us of was yeah. that goof episode. Um, but for the most part, I think it it's crazy to me it spoke to something it took this serious and i'm not this isn't a criticism it took a serious content uh a, a serious discussion that needs to be had more frequently how young women of color slip through the cracks um in so many different ways and like yet this detective is like you know young black you know black women can slip through the cracks they can be serial killers too and it's like, yeah, like, yeah, but they slip through the cracks and all these other, like, other great, like, other ways that we can, like, you know, you know, like, we should be chasing them, not because they've done something horrific. So the concept that she cared enough, this is what I think a lot of Black officers go through and people in positions like that, where they have, they care enough, but they're chasing down another Black person. To bring them to justice and so like for this character to have like no conviction in that particular way and it's just so focused that character that she played was just a cop mm-hmm. and I could appreciate that because that's the way they write cops for white people and they don't put the trope in there that the cop is all of a sudden just worried about her. now she mentioned race just to say black women fall through the cracks like it's like this could be my niche like this could be my thing i could find the black women and fall through the cracks but that was to uh, the extent it was no moral dilemma yeah i felt funky about that like it touched on to me that kind of touched on something else i don't know if i'm gonna get into it (laughs) but um yeah i yeah yeah anytime you see a black cop it always rings of that narrative of like, well, who who better to catch a slave than a slave? Kind of like, so. Exactly. And it's kind of like, trust and believe that new insight is going to be like, okay, now, we, now we're going to make you guys the poster child for this too. We're kind of seeing that in today's where, say eggs is a common killer of everything. And then one day a grape kills one person. All of a sudden, the eggs are like, not us. <laughs> Even though it's 12 to 1 ratio, not us anymore. It's and the grape. Fact, and in fact, them grapes, they get you. You know, <laughs> it's really the grapes that slip through the cracks. You know, it's the grapes and they raisins. As a matter of fact, we, you know, like it's, it's we need to get to the grapes before they make some more of these raisins. Yeah, it, yeah. it's the eggs. <laughs> and the whole time, the eggs are just like, nah, it's, we. It's, it's, 
It's the eggs. They're just waiting for a scapegoat, but it's the eggs. So, but it's just so how quickly it always reminds me of the Chick Fil A uh, advertisement eat where they have the have the cow talk about you know eat more chicken, eat more chicken. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it, yeah, I think the bouncing us out into it, hiring actors, getting this, you know, it was so funny. The beautiful young lady that they had played the role of like the Drea. Reminded me a lot of your of your daughter a little bit. I don't know why, but it was just like they made her human. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that I appreciated because the Drea that we had to have, that Dominique Fishback played, although mm-hmm. Dominique Fishback is a very beautiful young woman, mm-hmm. um, she had to be a killer. Yeah. You know, like they had to like have full facial blemishes and you know because she's eating all this sugar and everything Mm -hmm. so it's like they had to bring the reality to what her life was and so when they go back and they show her in a more innocent time you know when she's like singing this song this white song and not being (laughs) accepted by white people and she's just wanting these applause the ones that Nyjah gives her so to speak at the very end she wants she's wanting for something and so I like that they didn't just say I think what episode six was for me in this or the falling through the cracks episode for me in this was that it was their way of saying like yes I did make this character about black women about we are about this fandom of black women but I do see you and so I think that was part of what I'm choosing maybe to get out of that was that was the staff and the writers and everyone's way of saying like yo we and and, and I got that message clearly through the caseworker and what the caseworker was saying when she was choosing to still protect uh, one of her babies even though the baby could very well be a serial killer which is indicative to what uh, we see a lot uh, with within our culture, when our kids do something wrong, we still it's like, yeah, but I'm not turning them gladly over to this system. I'm still gonna have to protect them because no one else will. Yeah. And so, yeah, lot, I like that episode. That's that was, those are all the things I kind of saw in it. Okay, so I thought it was interesting that Drea in the documentary like thing looked like a young Beyonce. <laughs> you think so? More so, more so than Naja, to be honest, because they would show like you know Destiny's yeah. Child and stuff when they were younger and performed on Star Search. Okay, I'm trying to see how I can ask you this without saying or giving it away. So on that mockumentary, that's episode six. Mm-hmm. Why did the characters look different? Why did Drea in the documentary look different than Drea in the show that we're watching? You have to do that in order to really, for me, I see the narrative as none of this looks like what it really is. You have to like, Beyonce's not what her fans think they are. None of these, so I think when you go back or like the serial killer, not really what, what you think. Which one do you think is the truth? I think that you got to find your truth. And I think that's part of the only God makes happy endings kind of things. It's like we're used to like a nice, neat package. And the truth of the matter is, the truth is found somewhere in between 
this young lady had some issues and you know like, you know and she was done wrong and she's the, you know and it's right. just like there's a truth somewhere between what these people really look like what a person really looks like like who they really are what image they're really made in okay all right so okay so this it might be partly just because the way i thought of it or i might be not asking the question correctly all right so when i was watching this show and watching drea and marissa and all the rest of the stuff and she going through her journey of all the stuff she's going through with this fandom she loses her anchor in a way and she just kind of spins out of control right and so we get to episode six and i'm watching it and it starts off with with this detective and she's trying to figure out this stuff and she's putting these things together. She's interviewing people. She's digging to find out. She sees connections. She thinks it's a serial killer. I think it might be a woman going to go visit friends and family, blah, blah, blah. And the characters isn't looking the same. And so at first, when I first saw that episode, I thought that the Drea that we were watching from episode one was the real Drea. And on episode six, they were doing a documentary about that Drea. After thinking about it and watching it again. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I took it as episode six is the true story. The show we're watching from episode one through five, skip six and seven are Donald Glover's interpretation of yeah. that documentary. But I didn't realize like that was the art was the show we're watching and the documentary was supposed to be real. Yeah. Now that was my initial interpretation. Like I don't. So here's the thing that is weird about it. I think there's nothing weird about what you're saying. I think that that's I thought that that's what their intent was, was to okay. make us feel as though here's the real and so just so you know where and here's just so that you know what you're watching is the lifetime oh okay I see. that okay. was my interpretation okay, okay. Like, it's the real show like here's the real people okay this is our lifetime movie version of it and i thought that episode six was supposed to be an interpretation of what happened you know when they try to recreate stuff and they got all the different actors to play the thing you know yeah. that's how i took it as that at first i took that as being an interpretation of the actual you- show i said other way around but so I'll go back to the part with the parents what I thought was weird with the dad and stuff. So quote unquote, in real life on the documentary, the father had passed away from cancer. And so they probably didn't know what the dad was like, and he probably didn't have any directions on how to act like him. And so that's why his acting was so bad as, you know, Leon's direction wasn't that good on that episode when he was had the shotgun dealing with Dre uh, because, yeah. because he wasn't alive. So they didn't have no, you know, they had to have him in the story just to juice it up. But, you know, he wasn't alive. So that would have been the one person that, that seemed off was the one person he wouldn't have had nobody to talk to to ask, like, how should I play this? How would you feel when Drea returned to the house? That's why he turned to a, a Tyler Perry character, because he didn't have any interpretation. And so I was like, wow. So that was so what we're watching, the show is actually an interpretation of episode six with episode six have all the answers so all the stuff that was vague that i had to guess and ponder about one through five was explained in episode six for the answers because we had to hear about milk that's red and and you know 
connections of what happened to her past and who she's related to, how she connected. And episode six told you from the beginning, that was her foster family. It was an incident that happened. She stabbed a girl. The girl was talking about being stabbed in the neck and she called it milk. And even though she stabbed me and she was crazy, they thought it was too much. So they got rid of her and all oh, that stuff. What I would do is challenge you to show someone who hasn't watched it, who doesn't really care about the way they consume media or whatnot. Yeah. Have them watch episode six first or last. Mm, yeah. And if they come to that same conclusion, because if you watch episode six first, you're like, oh, that's, it doesn't come across as, and, and they did the same thing like they did with, with the spook. They didn't shoot the whole thing perfectly. Mm -hmm. You kind of can tell that they, you know, like you can kind of tell it isn't as good as the goof. Because the goof, I feel like really committed to the use of like the tools of documentary filmmaking in the 90s, right? Right. But yeah, but like, but point I'm getting at is if you watch, if you watch, if you remove, if you pluck six out and make it the last episode, it would have been cheesy because we would have been like, oh, what is this? Like some special thing that's supposed to tease us. But mm -hmm. if, if you watched it first, it would prove that like, Hey, this is what information we have. Let's show you our ver you know, like let's reenact it for you. So yeah. Right. But then also part of it too is because the documentary wouldn't have rolled the same ways because we didn't know enough about the black animators and the goof that sat behind the door. We didn't know enough about them. So some of that stuff is because sure. of our ignorance versus we know that's a fake Beyonce. Like regardless of, of the woman who was, you know, Dre. She could have been based off somebody real in real life. Who knows? And it probably is. But we knew that Naja, and he noticed how they kept beeping out the name. So they could have been saying Beyonce for all we know. They kept saying beep. They never said Naja. So it's almost like the show is not respecting the privacy of the singer. But on the documentary, they had to legally. Right. You notice how they bleeped her name out on that on episode six, the mockumentary, but not in the TV show that shouldn't care. And if you're, and like you said, if you're choosing to believe that it's Beyonce, then of course in your mind, you're like, oh, they're saying Beyonce on the bleep out. So it then makes you want to go back and watch it and say like, are they mouth? Did they cover the mouth? Right, because it looked like they were kind of mouthing Beyonce. Cause see, cause I went back and looked at it and it seemed like it was, and I don't know if they were trying to be funny or what, but that's what it seemed like. There was a ticket on the wall that also like was from Beyonce's tour. Oh, what? <laughs> the blurred out pictures look oh. like they would be blurred okay. out pictures because they were blurred out pictures of like a fit more fair skin. You know what I'm saying? Person like, you know, so like it's those things in the background that you see is saying, yo, this is Beyonce. Right, right. Cause I could have swore that's what they were kind of mouthing. I'm like, nausea. That's not even the same kind of lip movement. So I saw I was like, are you trying to say Beyonce? Okay. So what I thought was even the icing on the cake. Cause like I said, I watched it and I was kind of thinking like, okay, so this is supposed to be a documentary about the show we watched or whatnot and not the other way around. So when we got to episode seven, and that's the one where everything kind of comes to a head. You know, she's in a relationship. Her name is now Tony. Um, bought some tickets for an anniversary. And it seemed like every time she tried to do something special for a, a special day, like, you know, a birthday or a surprise for somebody or anniversary, that person ended up passing before they get a chance to go to the show. But 
she ends up now it seemed like it was a good relationship now did her lady start kind of you know cutting up on her a little bit yes but it seemed like it was fair for what was going on especially when we saw in the beginning that she did not like nausea so even i when i thought why are you buying those tickets for her the girlfriend was saying the exact same thing like why what makes you think i would even like it so like i said she folded up the tickets like we are not going and tony was like we're going to that concert and ended up you know killing his killing her lady right which was just interesting and you know she was like even in her last breath saying i love you how can you do this to me i love you and what was kind of sad but yet funny when she ended up taking the body and burning the body and she realized the girlfriend had the concert tickets in her pocket that was on fire along with her she couldn't get she couldn't get to the tickets and you could see that she was halfway thinking about jumping in that fire to get those tickets out of her pockets but i think it was just too far gone to even get the tickets so then she goes to the concert without the tickets thinking she's going to get the tickets replaced she's not using her real name so she cannot get the tickets because she don't have id to validate who she is to get the tickets <sighs> but she got to get the scalper yes you know she ain't got no money i knew that was happening because she ain't had no money i knew that i i knew tony was gonna take out that scalper because tony didn't have no money the crazy thing about that chance this shows how the fandom was so intense for her like was that you know when i think of a scalper i always think is it a cop i don't know why i just i'm television has got me predisposed to thinking scalpers are, are cops undercover you know or person who's trying to sell you bad tickets right and so i was thinking all of those things were going to happen like oh this is how they're going to finally bust her but you know she actually got in but you know one of the things i want to say about this episode that both me and you appreciated and loved it was our favorite part of the episode and i think this should happen more frequently um on a lot of shows and it's the mother of Dre's girlfriend or Tony's girlfriend at this point did a masterful job at you know coming in and acting <laughs> I just gotta say you know this is the thing that we love about and this is the part that you were saying about Donald Glover that when it comes to Donald Glover showing the world what black male geek gaze is all about it doesn't get it just doesn't go any further than casting Cree Summers two times. <laughs> exactly. Uh, for us yeah. in one year. Yes. It just, yes. It, it. this is the way he gets a cult. He's trying to get a hive going. <laughs> and he knows how to do it. He knows how to sprinkle it in. Yes, he does. He knows yes, what he he's doing. Yeah, so I thought that I knew that you would appreciate that. That yes. I was like, I thought about you. <laughs> I thought about you too. <laughs> So we have a whole tangent dedicated to Cree. So yeah, you know, I saw that it made me smile. I was glad to see her in the role. So Tony stabs up the the scalper, gets the tickets. Got good standing arena area towards the stage. Tony sees Naja, hops the barrier, which normally security guards should be at, right? Gets on stage, actual stage. Security grabs Tony. And just like, I want it, just let me in. I just want to, I just want to sing. I just want to, I just want to. And Naja, you know, lets Tony up and kind of comforts Tony. And it's kind of like, you know, 
hands Tony the mic and like, you know, I guess go go let Tony sing or whatever, whatever. Say say some words or whatnot. Tony says, I I what is it? I, I love you or something like that, or I love you all, or something like that. And um next thing you know, Naja and Tony in arm are going into the limo leaving the show. Right? Yeah. And that's how it ends, right? Well, the Nigel character is Marissa. Yeah. The Nigel character is now this culmination. So now the fantasy is completely, it's reached its, its apex. It actually, it's so funny because they actually did a bad job on purpose of superimposing Marissa's face over Naja's body. Like the skin tone, everything is all lit up differently. It's like, obviously a poor job on purpose it's almost equivalent to somebody having a blow-up doll and sticking a photo of somebody's face on the top of the doll and the person accepting that as being the person for real it looked that bad and i thought that was really neat and powerful to show how crazy the delusion was or how powerful the delusion was whereas obviously not the right face on that body like i said not even matching up you know and still being accepted regardless and I know some people probably would have had a problem with that ending. I did not for a particular reason. How did you feel about the ending and why? I think the ending was appropriate because I think it was it was the best ending possible. And I even like the title of Only God, you know, makes happy endings. Um, I think for me, it was just like it was the release for us to know that like yo this person is is mentally ill and i know that it instantly made me go back and like google and think about now didn't somebody run up on like the stage run up on jay-z and beyonce you know when they was on tour and sure enough it was inspired by that moment so tony which the interesting thing about the character the tony character or the name switching the name to tony tony both tony and dre uh are both names that can be male names and female names mm-hmm. um so i thought it was interesting that she kind of goes out like goes back she relapses like you said she was trying to get right things were seemingly normal and then there was this relapse mm-hmm. and it was like both traumas combined and now she's carried off and we know that there's a cop on the way to her that can draw both of them that can draw her to at least the Tennessee murder um, and you never know how the pieces can unfold from there so we know that this is really probably the conclusion in my head I felt like this is the conclusion yeah. if all goes well this is the conclusion of this person who slipped through the cracks now the person who's determined to catch people slip through the cracks is going to come get her. We saw that from the, you know, from that. So that's the, that's the way, but yeah, it was a perfect ending, uh, short of like her escaping and then them telling us, and there's going to be more killing, you know, which we didn't need that. What would um, you think? I thought it was ironic that she changed her name to Tony and because um, Beyonce's sister Solange had a song called Tony.
That was one of her singles. So I thought it was kind of interesting that, you know, I wonder if that was connected in any kind of way. It gotta um, be. It's gotta be. You know? Um, I thought the ending was, was great. And and I, it was easy for me to accept because I knew it couldn't go any further because we know from the previous episode, from episode six, that they caught Tony on a stage at Naja's concert and the police are holding Tony there and hopefully Tony doesn't post bail before a detective get a chance to go down there and question to find out what's happening, what's going on. And so I knew the end of this show, since it's based off of that documentary or that you know, real time documentary, it can't go any further really, because we saw the ending basically on episode six where Tony was taken by custody. So it wasn't in the arms of nausea for sure. It was, you know, in the custody of the police officer. So, so I thought, oh, that's, that's pretty slick. That episode before kind of gave you the ending for the following episode, which was episode seven. So I thought it was, it was cool. It was just a, um, a sad journey, very, very unfortunate intriguing to watch it was sad funny hilarious trippy refreshing in a way Um, the characters were rich and it was amazing how even the side characters of the characters you wouldn't think nothing of really had a lot going on with them and you kind of cared for them and was kind of concerned and wondered about their place you know in dre's life and her situation because you just really didn't know where it was going to go but she always had this this through line that you could follow you know which which made it interesting but it was a one of those kind of situations where the driver's driving crazy and reckless and you just in the back seat holding on and you just happy you survived it <laughs> you know it's like i was there to witness it so it was one of those kind of things um i hope that donald does more of these because my my wish was after completing and seeing Atlanta that he touched on so many him and his brother and the other writers and stuff touched on so many poignant things and in, in, in the plight of black folks and situations that are awkward or or how we see stuff I was hoping he would do something like this at first I thought he was going to be doing more maybe pulling ideas and concepts like he did in Atlanta like those one-off episodes that we talked about and doing a movie with them but if he's doing a long format six seven episode tv show about them that's great too because I just think those ideas deserve more breath like those those one-off with the with the nanny the nanny who you know had the the black nanny the white kid and that whole thing like that could be a movie that could be a whole series you know so he he touches on you know teddy perkins that could be a whole series that could be a movie so i i hope he keeps reaching back and pulling those kind of awkward one-off situations and do things with him with this and i, I hope swarm does well enough to you know pull another idea and see what he does with that i think it's going to have a hard road because of the subject matter. So I think it's gonna be a lot of pushback because of that. But then also it's not necessarily easy watch either. It's, it's hard. You gotta be really kind of secure in your own head about watching something like this. It's, it's gory, it's kind of off kilter. It's not easy watching, you know? Um, and you gotta kind of be ready for it. You gotta be kind of in the right mindset for it. And not to say it's bad, but it's a, you know, when you see horrific things happening and it's being, you know, played off as, as if it being normal by the main main person it, it's a, it's hard to it's a hard thing to to watch especially when they're not the bad guy quote unquote you know they're not the typical bad guy and so when you see a face not matching an action that you're used to that could be it could be jarring for folks yeah it was an odd watch i know dominique fishback said that she had to have therapists on set 
um, which is, you know, isn't uncommon, but still, you know, pretty powerful to, to recognize that, um, that these movies do affect you in real life. So like when you watch them, be careful, you know, and I think, you know, I watched it and I, like I said, I did a mental check on myself. I was like, man, I am so glad I've never been obsessed with anything that much. But I'm also very grateful that I have all my faculties, you know, like to yeah. to have known when to say no, because that like the point that they stressed that this is real. Like these scenarios might not be exact, but each one of these things are real. And I know that some people it's drawn a little bit of criticism of people saying that once again, this is Hollywood coming in on the back of, you know, real life stories that really actually hurt people. And not so much the fandom stories of like biting or running up on stage. Like that situation in Tennessee is a real one that they, you know, they took from that. But law and order takes from real life all the time. Right. You know, like this is part of it. Art imitates life. And unfortunately, sometimes life imitates art uh, far too often. So I can appreciate what it is. I think his next project is Mr. and Mrs. Smith adapted from the spy movie. Yeah, the one with Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. Yeah, well, yeah. So that one's coming up. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, he's he's in that, and I know he's in a few of the episodes, even though he's the he's the creator. So, oh, they're making a TV show, not a movie, then. Yeah, it's gonna be a TV show, I believe. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, oh. yeah it's gonna be eight episodes. Is what IMBD has right now. Okay. It has Donald Glover in three of the episodes, so we'll see. Okay. Um, but it does have him listed as the creator oh. um, and star of it. Looking forward to checking it out. More so, I'm looking for more of his original ideas, him and his brother, what they come up with. Especially if you could get away with it and they let you do those kind of things like Jordan Peele. Like when they're saying go, please just do as much, you know, and it's harder to win sometimes with, with your own your own ideas and stuff. But it, for me, especially with all the stuff that we have coming out, all these, you know, movies are supposed to do well or they're so, com you know, the same movie every time and just changing the pieces a little bit. I like these fresh takes on these, on these shows and these movies. It's really, you know, I really love them and appreciate them. So I, I always look forward to more art by people who actually have something to say. You know, there's, there's plenty of people that, you know, somebody else could tell them what to do or to regurgitate something they've seen before, but to actually have a perspective, those kind of folks I like to support and be behind and follow their careers and stuff they do because that perspective is priceless when we're in a world of regurgitation and repetitiveness of the same stuff, regardless if it's good or bad. So any new vision I am down for, especially if it's well executed and even better. Yeah. Well, man, that's it for me. Right yes. well, we I gotta do this more often man let's develop a show let's develop a show together we gotta do that oh I'm down for that See, let's uh, figure out what we need to do because you already got your own thing so we gotta figure out something different okay. we need to develop a show together I got time okay I love doing shows so and, and I love our conversation so you know I'm down for that let's let's definitely let's work that out in the meantime folks go back and check many a conversation with Drew and I with various topics but our conversations are always great and go deep. So for sure, you know, check out our past conversations. Anything going on with you? Anything that you'd like to share? No, not not in this particular season, um, man. Hopefully if all goes well, um, just the same way where I did a little bit of 
background behind the scenes work on the Green Lantern. There's a behind the scenes interview that I shot for the Flash. Um, but I don't know if that project will ever see the light of day. So, wow. <laughs> and then a lot of time that that could be next year sometime. So, all right, we got to keep an eye out on that and. When it does come out, we definitely got to talk about it. Excited for all your projects and how you always kind of keep it moving, man. It's, it's inspiring. Very inspiring. Trying to, man. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. you, man. I always enjoy being on with you and you having me on, man. Thank you. No problem. I'm looking forward to our new show. <laughs> Coming this summer. Coming this summer. We don't know what's titled yet, but it's going to be a dope. show about figuring out what their show is going to be about. What, whatever it's going to be, it's show enough going to be funky. I can tell you that. I'm going to write that down. That's a good idea. <laughs> All right. That was, that was Jay and Drew. Until next time, peace.